Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello there, Foo followers around the world. Listen, are you a fan of the Sky TV show Gangs of London? Well, here is your chance to win a free copy of the must-see TV event of the year on Blu-ray. Courtesy of Dazzler Media. Created by the visionary, award-winning filmmakers Gareth Evans and Matt Flannery of the Raid film franchise, Gangs of London stars a multi-talented ensemble cast including Joe Cole, Chopé Dirisu, Colm Meany and Michelle Fairley. We have teamed up with Dazzler Media to give away two copies of the complete first season on Blu-ray in this month's competition. In order to be in with a chance of winning, simply sign up to our newsletter now via our website, kungfumovieguide.com. Full competition details will be announced in our July newsletter, which will be released at the end of the month on the 31st of July. So become a registered Foo follower today to be in with a chance of winning a copy of the superb Gangs of London on Blu-ray. If you are a fan of Gangs of London, then please do make sure you check out my conversation with Gareth Evans on episode 50 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Gangs of London will be available to own on Blu-ray, DVD and digital from the 27th of July. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the show, episode 56, which features my conversation with the action film star Stu Bennett. So without any further ado, let's get on with the show. Oh, here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. <laughs> hello, 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 food followers around the world. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast with your host Ben Johnson. I do hope you are keeping well and you're staying safe and you're staying strong. Listen, we have a great chat to share with you all today as I talk to none other than Stu Bennett. You may know Stu, of course, by his wrestling name, Wade Barrett, or maybe Bad News Barrett from his years with the WWE. Stu is a five-time WWE Intercontinental Champion, a former King of the Ring, and his association with the WWE encompasses around 10 years from his initial tryouts in 2006 all the way to his retirement from professional wrestling in 2016. Since then, Stu has made the transition into films, successfully landing key roles in films like Eliminators in 2016, in which Stu played the villain opposite Scott Adkins, Eliminators was directed by James Nunn. James has been a guest on this show. He was featured on episode 14 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. In 2018, Stu made his debut as a good guy in the UK indie action film I Am Vengeance, 
which is also known as simply Vengeance here in the UK. That film introduced the character of the tough mercenary John Gold, with Stu acting opposite the fight legend Gary Daniels, and the actor Brian Larkin, who played the British villain in the Donnie Yen film Chasing the Dragon. I Am Vengeance was written and directed by Ross Boyask and produced by John Adams. You can go back and listen to my I Am Vengeance podcast special from 2018. That episode features my conversation with both Ross and John as well as Brian Larkin. That is on episode 31 of this show. During that conversation, Ross mentioned to me how his ambition was to create an I Am Vengeance franchise built around Stu Bennett's character John Gold. And sure enough, here we are in 2020 and John Gold is back on our screens in the sequel I Am Vengeance Retaliation. The film is already out in the USA and it is released today on the 13th of July 2020 here in the UK. There is a great amount of fighting talent involved in this sequel and many of the cast and crew have already appeared on this particular podcast. That includes the Jailbreak star Jean-Paul Lee, the Street Fighter Resurrection and Doctor Strange actor Katrina Durden, who is fantastic in I Am Vengeance. The film's fight choreographer Tim Mann as well has also been on this show. The film also features other great fight and stunt performers like Lee Charles, Phoebe Robinson-Galvin, she has a great role in the film, Laurent Plancel as well, also from Jailbreak, and none other than Vinnie Jones. Vinnie plays the main antagonist in the film. Here is a quick clip from the trailer of the film to give you an idea of the sort of thing you can expect from the new Stu Bennett film, I Am Vengeance retaliation so here we go here's a little clip that's john gold wonder how many people he's killed this week five so far i'm putting a team together and i want you to lead it our target sean teague his intel and contacts alone enough to bring down the baddest of the bad. I know what he did to you and your team, but we need Teague breathing. You want me to bring Teague in alive? Steady! Teague. So I live and breathe. John Gold. You're coming with me. Yeah, of course I am. Lads! You're a traitor. You're a murderer. I'm going nowhere with you. Sound like a wrong voice. You're the... Jungle. Yep. Why don't you just come show us how tough you really are? Right then. I Am Vengeance Retaliation is out now on digital here in the UK. Make sure you go online and check it out. I will throw over to my conversation with Stu Bennett shortly, but before I do, I did just quickly want to acknowledge the fact that obviously this episode is being released. At a time when the world of professional wrestling has been somewhat turned upside down following a spate of sexual abuse claims, with many cases leading to resignations and police investigations, from what I can gather, figures from pretty much every major Western wrestling organisation has been accused or at least implicated to some degree. 
Because of the testimony of a number of very brave people who have stepped forward and gone public with their stories, I wanted to mention this here in the intro because we didn't get to talk about this when I chatted to Stu. The news hasn't been splashed across the front pages of the newspapers here in the same way that, say, the cases against Harvey Weinstein were and the subsequent Me Too movement, which engulfed Hollywood a few years back. So if you aren't aware of any of this, then I would just like to draw your attention to the Speaking Out movement. If you just Google the hashtag speaking out, you will be able to read up on the full scale of the allegations. This is obviously very much a developing story. There are a number of criminal investigations now taking place and we hope that the survivors of the abuse do find the justice that they seek. And of course, we do hope that the wider wrestling industry now does its utmost to support its own investigations into the matter and take steps to better protect its people. I should say that my own knowledge of wrestling pretty much stops in the 1990s, so I did enjoy looking back over Stu's career and watching clips from the WWE while researching this particular episode. There is still something very captivating and enjoyable about watching wrestling and the overall theatre of it all, although I should admit that I don't particularly keep up with it all as much as I used to. Stu is someone who did have a remarkable run as a pro wrestler in the WWE, performing pretty much at the highest levels of the sport, and he achieved an awful lot during his time. So this was great to be able to spend a bit of time chatting to Stu about his life inside and outside of the ring. So that conversation will be coming up shortly. As Stu does have quite a wide following, I thought this might be a nice opportunity to welcome any new listeners there may be to this show. The Kung Fu Movie Guy podcast is now in its fifth season and we are currently releasing new episodes every two weeks on a Monday. I speak to all manner of people who are involved in the production of martial arts films from actors, directors, producers, writers, stunt performers, stunt coordinators and of course fight choreographers. We also chat to authors and experts on the genre and we cover everything from your old school kung fu movies to your more fight-centric action films. Previous guests on the podcast include The Raid director, Gareth Evans, Bruce Lee's daughter, Shannon Lee, martial arts action stars like Scott Adkins, Amy Johnston, Juju Chan, former fighters like Don the Dragon Wilson and Kung Lee, and also legendary Hollywood fight coordinators, so people like J.J. Perry, Richard Norton, Heidi Moneymaker, they've all been on the show. We have a huge wealth of interesting and in-depth conversations available already. And if you do want to make sure that you never miss a brand new episode of the podcast, then please do subscribe to the show using your podcast provider. The Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast is available from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, SoundCloud, and pretty much everywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also keep up to date with all the latest news regarding this show and the wider world of martial arts movies by visiting our website, kungfumovieguide.com, and you can follow us 
on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We also have an email address if you want to get in touch with the website or the show or myself personally. The email address is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. One final thing I did just want to mention, of course, we just heard of the sad passing of Ennio Morricone. Ennio died at the age of 91 on the 6th of July. Morricone was, of course, a hugely prolific and legendary composer of many iconic film scores. His most famous work probably being with Sergio Leone on his classic spaghetti westerns, including Fistful of Dollars, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, and so many more. Those wonderful scores would prove so influential that many of them were lifted for many classic kung fu movies, and probably without the knowledge of the composer, like so much music that does appear in those classic kung fu films and as much as that sound became synonymous with the spaghetti western it also became synonymous with the 1970s kung fu film so much so that when i initially started this podcast and i was looking for 70s style incidental music the music that i play when i stop talking and the interview starts i immediately looked for Ennio Morricone style music from a lot of the royalty free websites that there are out there one of which is a piece of music that you are about to hear and it has made a few appearances on this show over the years I thought I should give a shout out I never normally do this but the piece is called Wild Western and it is available from the website Audio Jungle Audio Jungle is where I buy all of the incidental music that you do hear on this podcast including the main theme that you just heard. Of course, this isn't actually Morricone, but it is very much written in his style, and I wanted to use it specifically on this episode in memory of the great man who died on the 6th of July at the age of 91. Okay, that really is enough from me for the moment. I will be back at the end of this conversation to sign off properly. But until then, I will now throw over to my conversation with the former professional wrestler turned action film star, Stu Bennett. doing at the moment what with all this coronavirus stuff the lockdown i know things are getting lifted here is los angeles okay at the moment or are you still um housebound a bit uh well we were looking okay and then about three days ago they brought in another lockdown because everything sure. was spiking up again and people were getting a bit slack with wearing their masks and all that yeah. stuff so just in time for the fourth of july weekend when all the beaches were supposed to be open it's supposed to be a real fun weekend that all yeah. got Shut down, beaches were all closed, restaurants are all closed again now. So we're kind of back to square one, or in some ways actually worse than square one now. Sure. The, the numbers currently are worse than they were back in April or May when it, it first turned into the disaster. So, uh, yeah, it looks like the UK is doing a bit better than the US right now, but yeah. uh, we'll see. It seems to go up and down, and one minute the UK is having a rough time, and then someone else is. So who knows where this is going to end up. But I can't complain. I'm in the, the entertainment industry. Uh, both in the acting field and in the the hosting in the professional wrestling world. Uh, so everything's been shut down for me. 
so I've kind of been sat in the house quite a bit and drinking <laughs> a lot of wine and watching uh, a lot of um, a lot of TV, really, a few films here and there. But uh, kind of bored, if I'm honest. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I can't can imagine you. You've got the, the the film work, but also yeah, the re- the wrestling industry's been hit pretty hard. I know. NWA shut down completely. I think WWE did some wrestling without any crowds, and that's obviously quite strange not having the crowds there. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. They're keeping it going with uh, some stuff, but they had an outbreak themselves. I think last week they had something like 30 wrestlers and production staff on their show get uh, get the virus, so they had some sort of outbreak there. So it was seemingly going pretty well, but you've got to remember they're flying wrestlers and camera guys and lighting guys from all over the United States, all, all 50 states people live in. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're bringing them in, sitting on airplanes every week, and, you know, eventually something was bound to happen. Unfortunately, yeah. it seems like they had a, a spike of their own last week. Hopefully that settles down and, um, and no one gets hit too badly by it. But who knows? It's uh, what a crazy time. This is the thing, though, Stu. I mean, how do they actually solve this? I mean, you can't, you can't social distance <laughs> in a wrestling ring. Um, no, it's impossible. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not working for a company at the moment that's making me do that. I feel very yeah. fortunate. I know a lot of the guys are in a position where they can't really say no, um, even though they are technically given that option. So it's tough. Um, I'm not going to criticize WWE for doing it. It's very easy for me to to be pious about it and say they shouldn't be doing it. But I know they have these billion dollar TV contracts that if they don't fulfill the commitment they have for. The, um, the the content they're supposed to be providing, they're in yeah. breach of it, and then they've got stockholders who've got to be kept happy and the future of the business. So it's, it's, it's an impossible decision for someone to make at WWE. They've done what they see is the best as they can do, which is bringing in testing and all that stuff. But ultimately, anything you do is a risk. So, mm. uh, yeah, I'm not going to criticize them for that. Though. Yeah, yeah, There's enough people out there doing that already, yeah. so I'm not going to add, add to that. <laughs> it's an impossible balance to... So um, to put into play, I don't know, you can't just shut everything down completely and have no one go outside the house for two years until we get this vaccine. So I just don't know. There's yeah. no answer. There's no answer, is there? And the film industry, of course, is 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 in a lot of trouble as well at the, at the moment, and particularly the independent film market. I mean, that is really going to be tricky as to how they're going to get a lot of productions back back up and running you were lucky with i am vengeance retaliation you sort of filmed this a, a year or so ago didn't you so you know it's sort of pre-covid exactly the only the only real impact that we've had is i know we were planning to have a at least a small theatrical release for this yeah. one in both the uk and the us we had it on the first one in the us this time we were going to go a little bigger yeah. Um, but that's really the only thing that that's restricted us. And I think in, in some ways it might actually be beneficial for the film because people are obviously sat at home, bored, that's looking true. for things to do. And seeing as this is a VOD film at this point, um, yeah. anyone can download it. So, with, you know, it, it might actually work out for the better in terms of business for the film. But yeah, uh, yeah that's the only thing. We, I mean, there's, there's other films like the... I know the new Top Gun film, that was supposed to be a massive production, a massive release, you know, worldwide in every cinema um, and I think there was a couple of other big films that were supposed to be coming out that, that have probably been hit a lot harder than a film like I Am Vengeance Retaliation would be. It looks like you had a lot of fun on the first film. When Ross said we're getting this sequel together, you jumped to the chance? Yeah, I was thrilled. I was very lucky with the first film, which came out in 2018, but we filmed it in 2016. Back, yeah. um, it uh, dovetailed very nicely with my departure from WWE. So yeah. I think I left WWE in may of 2016 and by august 2016 i was on set filming 
uh, my first lead role Great. in a movie, uh, which was Iron Vengeance, the first one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that dovetailed really nicely. That was a fantastic experience. I loved working with Ross Boyask. He's the writer and the director. We have a great relationship and evolutionary films in general who were the producers by, behind it john adam and diane shorthouse they've been great with me from day one so that film did very well in terms of the budget we had for it and when it got released in the market it did well financially which allowed us to immediately bounce into the second one which is the, the new film coming out now i am vengeance retaliation and yeah when they called me up and said hey great news we, we'd like to do this what do you think i saw the script and i was i i couldn't say yes fast enough to be honest with you yeah <laughs> and in this film, we should say, of course, this pits you against Vinnie Jones. Working with Vinnie, I mean, what was what was that experience like? That must have been fun. Yeah, it was indeed. So I'd already agreed to do the film before I found out who my adversary right. would be in the film. Um, so I, I knew they were bouncing around a couple of names, but um, I was thrilled when they told me it was Vinnie Jones. Because I've, as a boy who was born in 1980 in the UK, I'm a massive football fan and yeah. um, I grew up watching the you know Vinnie Jones playing for um, Wimbledon and the exactly you know yeah. winning the FA Cup and that, that, those are some of my earliest memories of watching football and then of course he had this great film career too with uh, Guy Ritchie and the Lockstock films that was when I was kind of 18 19 getting mm. into that kind of movie too so I'm, I was a huge fan of Vinnie Jones anyway so to get to work with him I knew we were going to get two things off him at minimum I knew we were going to get a great bad guy performance from yeah. him because I don't think there's any better at doing that which is important for me because me being the good guy or the hero I'm six foot six I'm 250 pounds I'm quite the presence so we yeah. need a very strong bad guy opposite me I've spent an entire career basically being the bad guy yeah. uh, because that's you know my size and dimensions normally I'm not going to be the underdog in too many fights so that's why I'm, I'm normally the bad guy so I knew we needed a strong bad guy to play opposite me and, and Vinny was perfect for that and I also knew, of course, we were going to get his name, value, and presence and reputation, which is, is worth its weight in gold for the independent film industry. Any eyes you can get or any, any extra headlines you can get, and putting me up against Vinnie Jones, I think, is a, a great headline in itself. Yeah. So I knew we were going to get those two things um, from Vinnie. And on top of that, what I didn't think about was the fact that uh, Vinnie Jones says, I think he's done about 100 films. Um, he's worked with some of the absolute best producers, directors, sure. actors in Hollywood. If you go through his resume of what he's done in the acting world, um, he really it's has a, a just an outstanding history of working with top people in the game. So what I didn't think about and what turned out to actually happen was when he was on set, he was great for advice for the actors, for even the cameraman, the directors, tweaking dialogue, you know, figuring out how do we get more out of this film or how do we get more out of this this scene or this shoot um, and always trying to punch up and, and make things better. So, uh, yeah, he was fantastic to have on board. A lot of fun to work with, too. Great. Okay, yeah, because he can be quite an intimidating presence. So you, you wonder how much <laughs> of that is uh, is bravado. I mean, I guess... Oh, it's, it's, it's a very little amount is bravado. We, oh, I saw right. some things when the cameras were off. Let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, there, was a, there was a few times that I, hit, I could hit some some yelling and, and shouting down <laughs> okay. the corridor and I would, I would make sure my locker room door was was locked tightly and uh, I'd hide for a bit. So, yeah. I mean, I would have been disappointed had I not seen that side of Vinny. Yeah. Vinny was a great guy, a lot of fun, but there's, there is that, that element of craziness that we all yeah. have read about and seen on the football pitch for many years. That's still there. I don't yeah. think that's ever going away. And I, I think that's what 
part of what makes Vinny so great. It's very fight action heavy, this sequel. You got to work with Tim Mann again, the fight choreographer. You worked with Tim, obviously, for Eliminators with uh, Scott Atkins as well. Yep. You're quite experienced at this game now and working through the fight choreography. I wonder how it compares to, you know, when you're arranging fights in the wrestling ring. I mean, is there is there a comparison there at all, do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd say the, the biggest difference in between professional wrestling and, and fighting on screen on, on camera for film, um, well, first of all, that we actually connect in professional wrestling. So you've got, yeah. to, you've got to imagine in professional wrestling, we have a 360-degree crowd and we have cameras all around us. There's no real angle you can take on punches where we're leaving a little gap or anything like that. So we are always aiming to connect and actually punch people in wrestling and kick people. And, and as a result, things tend to hurt a little more. We're not trying mm-hmm. to kill each other in the wrestling ring, but we are having to connect and we are we are hitting each other. So You're falling all the time as well and you're slamming Of course, things. slamming, and- jumping around. You, you're, you're essentially a stuntman. And yeah. I learned very quickly on Eliminators, which was my first film where I did some fight scenes. That was in 2015. Um, as you mentioned, with Scott Adkins and, and Tim Mann, James Nunn was the director of that yeah. one. I learned very quickly in the fight rehearsals that I'm not supposed to punch Scott Adkins. So uh, <laughs> my, my very first scene, I, I threw a couple like in wrestling and we, we shut things down rapidly and I had to have a emergency lesson on how to throw punches oh, wow. in film. So yeah. that's, that's probably one of the biggest differences. I feel like I've done you know four or five films in, in that world now. So I'm certainly getting a lot more accustomed to it and I enjoy doing it. It's just, it's just different technique. Yeah. And you're working with some of the best in the business as well. I mean, you on this film, yes, Tim Mann, but the supporting cast, you know, Jean-Paul Lee's in this film. You've got Katrina Durden. You've got a so great caliber of, uh, of people working on this film. That must have been a thrill to, you know, be around that as well on the set. Yeah, very, very lucky indeed. I'll contrast that with my professional wrestling career, which started in 2004. And I was basically wrestling the worst wrestlers in the yeah. country for a couple of years and then slowly climb up the ladder until I eventually made it to the big time and now I'm wrestling with the, the best performers in the world so I've been very lucky in my my acting career to work with such great um, you know fight scene guys yeah. as Tim Mann as Scott Adkins Gary Daniels in the first yeah, one and of, of course, course. The, the names you mentioned in this one too and I was actually very nervous going into this one because I knew I had I think I had six fights in the script for I Am Vengeance Retaliation uh, and one of them, for the first time in my career, either in film or in professional wrestling, I was up against a female who mm. is Katrina Durden. And I knew she was very good, but I was nervous in a sense that, A, I'm literally twice her size. Yeah. Um, and which, you know, the, the, the problem with that is, A, it doesn't look very credible when someone half my size is beating me up. Yeah. And uh, B, I don't want to hurt her either, which is which is another thing. But it yeah. turns out she she had such great technique and style and and her approach to the fight scene it was almost like a um a bumblebee attacking a hippo or something yeah. like that but the yeah, way yeah. she's like jumping around with these ninja kicks climbing up walls bouncing off, it all made sense uh, she was great and so was uh, tim Mann, who helped put that fight scene together and yeah. that's one of my favorite things to when i'm working with different people is bringing out their skill set and bringing out my skill set okay how, what would make sense when this person is going to attack me versus this other guy who's 300 pounds and is actually bigger than me. So yeah. I love tweaking that and, and seeing what Katrina Durden could do in that fight scene. And she was fantastic. If you, if you see the film and watch that fight scene, she's very impressive. Yes. And uh, I was so happy with it afterwards and what a thrill it was to work with her. You sort of have one toe here and one toe in the in the states. There, I mean, do you like it like that? Is you sort of prefer it like that? Would you say? 
Yeah, I'd say the majority of the work I've done since leaving WWE four years ago has been in the UK, actually. And I don't mind that at all. I love coming home to the UK. I do live out here and it's part of my green card uh, situation. I'm I'm on the green card. I'm I'm actually in the process of getting citizenship. But as part of the deal with the green card, I cannot live in the UK. Um, Mm. I I literally have to live here and um, essentially treat this as home. And I can come back and visit the UK for a a month or two at a time or whatever it is. But essentially, my base has to be here. And if I leave for too long, they'll take my green card off me. So I love coming home to the UK. And it's never an issue with travel or anything like that. More times I get to come home and sit in a pub and go see my family after it and just be around yeah. the UK again. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah, I love doing that. I'd like to actually get some more work over here in the US. So I've recently signed with a new agent out here in Los Angeles. So we'll see if something comes of that. I think part of the problem is my US accent is really not very good. Right. Um, so I might need to do a little more work on that. I was hoping to kind of go the Jason Statham route of, yeah. uh, well, he just uses his normal accent all the time. Why can't I? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe maybe he's a little more important than I am. So <laughs> they let him get away with it. I'm not quite at that level. So you've done American in a movie already, though, haven't you? Do, uh, I did. It was film? it was yeah. the yeah the first film I was in, which was called Dead Man Down. It was actually the largest budget film I was in too. Yeah. It was in 2013. It's got Colin, Colin Farrell, Farrell in it. New yeah, yeah. Rapace, uh, Terrence Howard. Uh, I, I have about seven or eight lines in the film, um, yep. and I do a really, really bad Brooklyn accent. Yep. Um, so if you if you watch that film, you you, you actually manage to catch me in it because I'm in it very briefly. Um, that accent I'm attempting is a Brooklyn one. I think it's a little better now, and I, I've had a bit more practice at it. But man, I didn't I didn't do a great job on that accent. I will say that. Maybe that's why I'm not getting any work out here. Maybe people have seen that. I just say, stay away from that guy. But Stu, is that your plan then? So you've signed with a new agent over there. The plan is to get more uh, film work. I mean, this is your this is your your goal, your ambition. Do, do you have a plan with with the acting as as to sort of where you'd like to to take it? No, there's no real strict plan, to be honest with you. I left WWE in 2016, and one of the reasons I left is that I was kind of fed up with... I was burned out with it, and I was fed up with this um, kind of Groundhog Day lifestyle that I was living. I knew exactly what I was going to be doing for the next six-plus months, and it was always the same. It was wrestle here, wrestle here, wrestle here, wrestle here. I never had any time to do anything else. So one of the reasons I wanted to leave... WWE is I wanted more things in my life. I wanted to be able to go on vacations with my family, spend time with my girlfriend, um, go and do some work in the wrestling world, go and do some acting work, go and host the show for Netflix. And these are all the kind of things that have come in over the last few years since I've left. So I like the variety. Mm. I would absolutely like to be doing a lot more acting work too. I really enjoy it. But um, part of it is getting the, the right opportunities. I'm in a bit of a strange position where i've been fortunate enough to get a lot of leading roles in the films that i've done i've done five films um of the five films four of them were actually leading roles either the the lead hero or the lead um villain um so it's it's very hard for me to kind of want to drop down from that and if i do drop down from those kind of roles um what size of production should it be so i'm in a bit of a strange place where we're being a little picky with with what i'm accepting and what i'm declining mm. uh, but yeah i absolutely hope to be doing a lot more i love doing action films i love fighting and bringing my own unique style to that world the stuff i can bring from professional wrestling and uh, i certainly hope to do a lot more and fingers crossed if I am Vengeance Retaliation goes well, like the first one did. Um, hopefully we'll get at least a third one out of that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask that. So there is sort of a franchise being built here, isn't there? John Gold, we will see the return of John Gold, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I know Ross Boyas, the director, he's got a very fertile mind when it comes to this stuff. Sure. He already has two more scripts actually written 
Um, oh, great. Which is, you know, he's, a, he's a workaholic and he never puts he the is. pen down. But uh, he's done yeah. some great stuff on the first two. So obviously, I'd love to work with him again. I feel very fortunate as an actor who is relatively new to the business to already be involved in a kind of a franchise um, at the independent film level. It's very rare that anyone gets that opportunity, I think, in the acting world. So it gives yeah. me a lot of opportunity as an actor to explore a character a lot further than I would be able to do in just one film. Because you can already see, if you saw the first one and see the second film now, that the arc the character goes on and, and the changes in the personality and the dynamics he has with other people in the film, it, it gives me a great opportunity as an actor to explore those things. Abbott, you better give up. <laughs> Stu, I've never interviewed a professional wrestler before, so I'm going to take this opportunity to ask some some wrestling questions. Sure, um, go ahead. You turned professional when you were sort of fresh out of uni, weren't you? So you were pretty young, twenty in your early twenties, is that right? Yeah, well, professional wrestling um, back then, anyway, in the UK was rather unprofessional. Yeah. Um, and we we can say I was working professionally. I actually had to have a real job too at the same time. It, it wasn't ever gotcha. going to pay me enough back then. Uh, so it was really a, a kind of a part-time hobby thing um, at the time. And I was using up all my evenings to go to the gym and go training. And then on weekends, I'd be wrestling in Butlins and places like that, getting paid 30 quid a day uh, to wow. get beaten up in a, in a pro wrestling ring and traveling up and down the country whilst holding down a, a regular office job to pay my bills at the same time. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I pretty much when I was, I think I was 23 when I started professional wrestling. So a little bit after I left university, um, and then I wrestled in the UK for just over three years before WWE came along and offered me a contract to fly out to Louisville, Kentucky and yeah. carry on my training out there. And eventually I ended up in Florida wrestling on a small circuit there before I kind of moved up to the big time in 2010. Yeah, it's 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 an amazing story. And being from the UK as well, I'm UK based and we're sort of similar in age to So I'm guessing we sort of grew up watching Ultimate Warrior, uh, you know, oh, all yes. the classic WWF, British Bulldog. The British Bulldog, um, David Boy Smith, that was absolutely. my hero. Brett the Hitman Hart, Brett he's the Hitman another Hart. one. Yes. Yeah, great yes. days, you see. Fantastic yeah. characters. And that, yeah. that was it. I mean, if, if we're of the same age group, that it became hugely popular in about 91 yep. 92 93 and then it crashed and disappeared for a few years yeah. and then it bounced up again in about 97 98 99 when stone cold steve austin and the yep. rock came along yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. it became really popular again so it kind of has these roller coaster up and down um times in popularity i think it's kind of in a bit of a lull at the moment i don't think it's the the hottest it's ever been but it always bounces back and it just takes a little spark of something to send it in a direction that gets people excited again yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hold up. 
But you were watching wrestling, obviously, growing up, and you thought, this is something I want to get into, and you wanted to take it up. I, I still remember the very first moment I saw a photograph of a professional wrestler. My friend who had a he had Sky TV at the time, and I didn't, so I'd never heard of professional wrestling or sure. anything like that. This was, you know, 1990, 1991. He was collecting the stickers, and I went around his house yeah. one day, and he had a, a, a sticker of Brett the Hitman Hart, this yeah. tanned, muscular guy with right. cool glasses and long hair. And just looked like the coolest human being. He almost looked like he wasn't human. And in yeah. my mind, in a lot of ways, I think growing up, even when I was watching, um, I was an intelligent kid, um, reasonably intelligent anyway. But for some reason, it didn't click in my head that these were norm. These were actually human beings. They always seemed like cartoons. Their personalities, and of course, back then you didn't have the internet to read. Oh no, his real name is this, and this is where he lives, and mm. you know he has this family. You didn't get any of that. You got the right. ultimate warrior, who was this snarling, snorting, crazy guy with you know bleached blonde mullet and face paint, yelling yeah. at everyone and beating everyone up, and then disappearing. And you don't see him again till next week. So yeah. I think in a lot of ways, growing up, even till I was about seventeen, eighteen years old, I, I struggled to understand that these were actually human beings, and then. While I was in university, still a massive fan of the wrestling, I actually read a autobiography, and it was one of the first autobiographies in wrestling that kind of fully exposed how the business works and how these are just normal people. And, and that biography was by a guy called Mick Foley, who played a character called Mankind. Yeah. Um, so that book came out, and I read it. And for the first time, it humanized professional wrestling to me. And literally, the day I put that book down was the day I went to the, the gym and started pumping iron for the first time in my life, because I knew when I put that book down, that's what I want to that's do. This is my calling in life. There is nothing that's going to stop me. And at this point, I was six foot six, so I was fully grown, very tall guy. Uh, but I was about 12 stone. I was skin and bone. So I remember going to the pub and telling everyone, yeah, I'm going to be a professional wrestler in WWE. And they were just laughing at me like it was the most ridiculous thing ever. Yeah. And I was this skinny, skinny, kind of shy, awkward kid at the time. And uh, yeah, somehow it managed to work out, thankfully. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. And you did study, I read somewhere, marine biology. So you you did have aspiration, academic aspirations, or potentially to go into a, a profession there of some kind. Is that, is that, yeah, that's is what, that right? So, yeah. so I did. I mean, I, I was kind of drifting in life for a little bit before I came up with this uh, idea in university. But rather than drift for a while, I thought, you know, I'm going to go to university. I went to Liverpool University. I'm going to study, have this university experience and hopefully during my time in university figure out what i want to do in life uh and i, I always enjoyed uh the subject of biology specifically marine yeah. biology so i thought you know it's a, it's a great university it's gonna be a great experience why don't i just go study this i already have my a levels and everything in place so i went and did that and i ended up leaving university i got my degree i worked in a lab um, in Cardiff for about a year and a half um, while I first started wrestling. And it, I just knew it wasn't going to be for me, that lifestyle. And um, I ended up moving and getting an office job for a year or so uh, before my wrestling really took off. And then I disappeared off for the US. But um, it's funny as you mentioned it, I'm actually in the process or have been in the process prior to this pandemic of um, trying to get a marine biology show off the ground in the oh, UK. So wow. myself and my agent over there have been trying to, we've been working with a, a couple of companies and production companies out there about pitches and, and some ideas. So we've got a couple of ideas out there. I would finally like to use that degree in yeah. some way. And I'd love to be hosting and, and presenting some stuff. Uh, we had a pretty cool pitch about the Sea of Cortez in Mexico that I'm very excited about. There was actually getting some traction prior to the pandemic shutting everything down and everyone's yeah. budgets getting cut. Uh, so we'll see if that picks up again. But uh, yeah, ultimately, still very excited about marine biology. I'm uh, 
you know, love being in the water and around the beaches and, and stuff like that. So right. hopefully that will come back again somehow. I've killed many men with this pole, but still, I don't want to kill you yet. Five-time WWE Intercontinental Champion, former King of the Ring. What an amazing ride. I mean, when you look back at those years with the WWE, they are uh, fond years, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. I think um, the last year or year and a half before I left, I was very fed up with how things were going career-wise. I was upset with a couple of people in management and I was ready to move on. So certainly the last 18 months were pretty sour. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that, it was a fantastic experience. And I think more than anything, um, I put so much pressure on myself to go and achieve this and, and made so many sacrifices. I think I would have been furious with myself for life had I not ultimately gone the whole way and, and done it. So that, you know, I remember the weight off my shoulders the day I debuted on the main WWE show. I just remember a huge weight coming off my shoulders like, wow, this hasn't been a complete waste of time. I've actually achieved something here. And yeah, for a long time, it was just, I couldn't believe how lucky I was to be doing this dream job and yeah. traveling the world and wrestling every night in front of fans and all this crazy stuff and having this wild experience. And then there's all the ancillary stuff that you never think about when you're dedicating yourself to to pro wrestling um, which is like you know one day I'm a big football fan as I mentioned and my team is Preston North End Preston, and I used to yeah. follow them around the country with my dad when I was a kid standing in you know the rain and watching them play in the lower divisions and you know when they found out I was wrestling in WWE and a Preston fan they became big supporters of mine and they'd invite me to games I'd sit with the chair and they invite me to, to go train when we were on tours in the UK I could train with the team and get to do all this and give them pep talks before games which is always I mean you can never plan things like that, but that's the kind of stuff that happens when you have this wild life lifestyle and yeah. uh, you know a bit of success. So that, and of course, the film stuff too. That that all came from my wrestling, my opportunities in the film world, which were which are going well at the moment too. So all these kind of things that you never plan for. Um, I feel very lucky to get that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I should say I'm a Swindon Town fan, so I'm, I'm more than aware okay. of supporting oh, oh dear. those lower leagues. <laughs> 4 mil, yeah. wasn't it? We, uh, we beat in the final yeah, final a few uh, yeah, years ago. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring that up. No, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> no, I'm used to the heartache following a town like Swindon. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a dose of it again at the moment. We've, yes. uh, I think we've got one one point out of the last 18, so things have oh, gone blimey. real south yeah. for PME yeah. lately, unfortunately. How much sort of say did you have informing that character and the, and the, the storylines that are involved as well or, or or at the WWE is it very much like you, you don't really have much of a say I mean how does that work yeah it, it depends what level you are if you're one of the top guys like uh, Undertaker or John Cena you get a lot more sway um, sure. but for the majority of us we have very little room for manoeuvre at all it's it's quite dictatorial yeah. um, in some ways and the the man in charge, Vince McMahon, he's, he's very much a megalomaniac, self-admitted megalomaniac, controls yeah. everything. And, um, you know, so you, you have the opportunity to suggest things and pitch things and they have a team of writers. But if you're pitching something that it's just not, they don't want that for you. No, we want you in this specific role or this specific level of the show. Um, then you're really swimming against the tide trying to get anything to happen. And there was times in my career that I felt things were going well and I would suggest stuff and it would get turned down. And then there were times in my career when things weren't going so well. I was like, wow, I, need, I really need to suggest something now. And um, when those things were turned down and not replaced by anything improved, that was kind of, okay, the writing's on the wall and I need to move on. And I think the older I got, the more 
I expected to be able to have some more influence in terms of my character and the speeches and stuff like that, the, the storylines that I was involved in. And uh, when I wasn't getting that, it, it became quite obvious to me that I needed to move on and, yeah. and get to a different world. And now the cool thing about being in the film world, I actually get, especially working with Ross Boyesca, I, I get some opportunity to kind of make tweaks to the script and kind of move the character in certain directions that I see and, and look, uh, yeah, Ross and I have a great relationship where he can throw things at me and, and tell me to change my performance and he's quite happy with me suggesting tweaks to the script that will work for me and sometimes he accepts them sometimes he turns them down but yeah. being heard and occasionally being agreed with is, is a very nice feeling and that must be something that you're used to because the, I, I guess what people you know people who follow wrestling or know this it's a live show I mean anything could could happen you've got to be able to you know adapt to the situation it's like you're doing a sort of live improv to you know have a many millions of people are, are, are out there so that must be quite nerve-wracking as well, I, I, I'd imagine. Is that just something you just you just sort of, you know, got used to that over time? It is. You, you do get used to it to an extent. Yeah. Um, and certainly the, the in-ring stuff, like 90% of what you're watching in a wrestling match in the ring is uh, is completely improv. And it's guys, wow. you know, figuring out as they go along and listen. You know, you might have a couple of moments, a couple of spots planned, like the finish or something, and a, a big moment in the match where someone gets thrown through a table or something like that. But 90% of what you're seeing, you're really kind of muddling as you go along. So it is nerve-wracking. That's part of what gets the adrenaline going. Uh, but because of that, we're, it, it allows us to respond to the crowd. So when the crowd is excited, we might slow things down. When they're being quiet, okay, we've got to do something good here and get them back on their feet. And you're kind of playing them a bit like puppets. So uh, that was fun too. But I will say Vince McMahon was, uh, he had a bit of a sick mind. He enjoyed um, just in the, the, the earpiece of the bell ringer, he would tell them at the end of a match sometimes, okay, give Stu the mic, make him cut a two-minute promo. So without expecting it, I'm exhausted from this match. I'm breathing heavily. I'm getting my hand raised. Suddenly I see a mic coming my way, and it's because Vince McMahon has told someone, no, make Stu do it. This is live on TV in front of millions of people. You know, Do a two-minute speech now telling me about why he's the best or something like that. Wow. And he had a kind of a... A sick mind. A lot of guys would be rabbits in the headlights when they got that. I was fortunate enough I was able to cope with that um, better than most probably. And, and that did my career a lot of good, the fact that he saw me able to cope with that stuff. But yeah. uh, certainly he, he got off on, on making guys feel awkward in those spots. Yeah. Did you mind getting booed a lot as well? Because I know that your your character was uh, he, he was antagonistic, wasn't he? Uh, so yeah, that was something you didn't you didn't mind like sort of riling up the crowd and being that guy. I spent my whole career as a bad guy. I very, actually very briefly while I was in Butlins, I was made to be the good guy, kind of yeah. the British Hulk Hogan type. And I hated it every second of it. And it wasn't me at all. So getting booed for me was a sign of success, to be honest with you. It was as yeah. good as getting cheered to a soccer player or to a, a good guy wrestler. And that's what I'm wanting. I'm wanting the booze. I'm wanting the hatred because then I'm doing my job well. And uh, I think wrestling nowadays is so overexposed and there's so much of it on TV. I think, WWE alone produce about 10 hours a week of professional wrestling. Yeah. It's very hard sometimes to get a reaction from crowds uh, because they've seen everything and they've booed 20 guys before you've even come out. Uh, so when you were able to get those reactions and get crowds genuinely hating you, um, it's actually a pat on the back for a bad guy wrestler. And it's like, yeah, great job today. And you yeah. come to the back and everyone's get high-fiving you and you know, telling you what a great job you did because you got booed, which sounds a little weird to a lot of people, but that's that's how we operate in pro wrestling. Yeah, but that's the thing. Not a lot of wrestlers, and I'm sure, Stu, you noticed this when you were there, so many wrestlers must have that drive, that same ambition that you had. Maybe they look the part and they can do all the moves, 
But if you can't work up the crowd, I mean, you're not going to go very far, are you? Yeah, of course. I think a lot of wrestling today, one of the biggest problems is it has become in many, many situations what is essentially a stunt show. Yeah. Um, whereas my opinion about pro wrestling is, okay, first and foremost, we're characters telling stories and the wrestling stuff is really important and it's really good, but it's not what comes first. If you don't have the characters, the personalities and the stories, then there's no point for the matches. And I always liken it to an action film that only has car crashes in it. Everyone loves a good car crash in a film or a shootout, but there has to be a narrative or a story and, and a reason to have the car crash in the first place. So a lot of pro wrestling today, unfortunately, in my opinion, is just car crash, car crash, car crash. And they are amazing car crashes and fantastic athletes. The athletes have never been better, but I think a lot of the writing, the characters, the personality stuff has actually declined in recent years. So if there was anything that needs fixing, in my opinion, that's an area that the rest needs to step its game up. I've always done things on my own. <laughs> Good. Then let's see what you can do. Stu, did you get injured quite a bit in the ring? Yeah, so I had two surgeries with WWE. I snapped my arm backwards at the elbow once. Oh. Um, a, guy, a guy called The Big Show, who's about seven and a half feet tall and 500 pounds, he pressed the guy above his head and, and threw him on top of me, and my arm snapped backwards at the elbow. So imagine your, imagine your hand touching, the touching your shoulder, bringing it up and touching your shoulder. Now imagine oh, it doing that, but the opposite way. So my hand kind of did that, and uh, that was live on TV, so that was fun. I think I... I think I broke the world record for swear words in 10 seconds on my TV uh, <laughs> before they started bleeping. Eventually, they got to the bleeper. Um, and then I got another one in 2014 where I was thrown against a barricade and it was a badly designed barricade. The, the barricades around the ring that kind of protect the crowd are supposed to have a little bit of give in them. Um, the one I was thrown into was actually fixed down um, solidly and didn't have any give. So when my shoulder hit it... Um, the barricade didn't give, but unfortunately, my shoulder did. Oh, um, so I, I got the brunt of that. And both of them were, were six-month surgeries and rehab yeah. and recoveries and all that stuff. So, yeah, that definitely takes the wind out of your sails as a character and a performer and uh, not a lot of fun, that's for sure. No, but you've just got to carry on in those situations? Or is there is there like a language? I've always wanted to ask this. Like, between the wrestlers as you're doing you know the actual match itself if something goes wrong or you're injured is there like code words you say to each other where you're like no this is this is serious now we need to wrap this up because you know i'm in yeah the, absolutely we're, we're talking the whole time and the referees are talking yeah. to us we're indicating to each other i was fortunate the two times that i was really badly injured um both things happened at the very end those were the final pieces of the puzzle anyway so it was like okay this is the end anyway sure um but i there's a, there's a, we got a Remember, there's a difference between being injured and being hurt. I've just mentioned the two times I was injured, i.e., okay, I need surgery and I'm done. But yeah. I've had plenty of matches where I've had a tooth punched out or I'm bleeding, I've needed stitches and, uh, you know, and pulled muscles and things like that. And so th there's been a lot of that too, but I would say that's hurt. And then you, you kind of just keep going and, and deal with it. Um, and, you know, usually it doesn't hurt too bad while you're in the ring. It's after you come out of the ring and 20 minutes later, you're cooling down and the adrenaline's going and that's when the pain really starts to kick in. And uh, unfortunately, you have to get in your rental car 300 miles down the road, get to the next town because you're doing the same thing again tomorrow. So yeah. uh, that's part of it. We're, we're constantly getting beaten up, constantly bruised, banged up, cut and all that stuff. And if you can avoid the really bad ones, the injuries, the surgeries, you're doing pretty well. And I guess the longer that you sustain a career in wrestling you know the more beat up your your body is going to get and you probably do 
you know, like the decision you, you, you made there in 2015, 2016 there to move away from professional wrestling, that must have been a decision for your own health as well, I, I would imagine, Stu, is that right? Of course, as much as anything, it was mental health too. I was I was fed up. I was constantly exhausted. I remember sitting on aeroplane. And you, you're constantly on this treadmill of traveling around the world to get to the next town. And I was wrestling about 270 nights a year um just to put wow. that into some perspective all around the world on your off days you're actually in a plane going to japan or whatever so uh as fun as it is when you're younger after a while it really does start to grind on you and and get you exhausted and i remember sitting on planes and i'm a big reader i enjoy reading books and uh i remember sitting on planes and, and trying to read you know three or four pages and getting to the end of it and realizing i couldn't remember a single thing that i just read on those pages and this was a consistent problem for a matter of months so i knew i was just burning the candle at both ends and uh, mentally just so exhausted that I needed to do something else. So yeah. that's it. It's part, partly physical health, partly my mental health. I knew I was so tired and exhausted. I look at photographs of me from early 2016 and seeing my family. And so I look horrible. Like, really? I look like I've got some, some really bad illness. I didn't have an illness. I was just completely burned out and just exhausted. exhausted. And, it yeah. probably took about a year to, to really recover. I think even in the, the first Vengeance film, I look at myself in that film um, and I, I look I look skinny, I look drawn, I look tired in the face and that was because I was still kind of recovering from this experience I'd have traveling the world and wrestling. Um, and I think really by probably 12 months after that is when I, I finally got my normal self back and my my soul regrew or something. I don't know. I, I, I obviously recovered back to full health. When you were actually in the grind doing it every day, did it... Did that love for it slightly it sort of diminish? Yeah, I think it did by the end. The last the 18 end, months, yeah. I, I would rather have done anything else than really? get up out of bed and get on a plane to go fly and wrestle. I, I just wanted out. And I knew my contract was coming up soon and uh, I was really counting down the days. But again, it will always be my first love. And like I say, it took a bit of time away and I kind of left the industry, the wrestling industry alone for a little while. And yeah. uh, subsequently I started dipping my toe back in and people would be calling me with idea. Hey, we want you to do this. Hey, do you want to come and work for this one? And now there's a lot of other wrestling opportunities out there other than WWE, yeah. which was really the only game in town when I was younger. So it's nice now that I work with a company called NWA, um, National Wrestling Alliance out here to have a show. And I'm a commentator on that. And yeah. the, um, the requirements in terms of time is pretty minimal compared to what I was used to doing. So it's nice that I'm able to find spots in the wrestling world where I can still be involved and still have this passion and be excited about things. Um, but it doesn't take up all my time like WWE used to. So that yeah. was kind of the problem with WWE. That's It's literally all of your life or none of your life. And I got to the point where none of my life sounded better and now I can do, okay, just a bit of my life in NWA. Mm. So I'm getting the balance a bit better these days. Yeah, good, good. You must have made a lot of friends there as well. I mean, do you still hang out with a lot of the people that you were working with when you were at uh, WWE or is, have you sort of closed that that chapter of your, well, of your life now? Well, as, as much as I have plenty of time off these days because I've restructured everything, the guys who they are still don't. working there, they're on that grind. So I, yeah. I don't get to see them very often. The nice thing about, you know, social media and texting and stuff, I, I do keep in touch with a lot of them. I know what they're doing in their career. The current champ is actually a Scottish guy called Drew McIntyre as right. they call him on there. I've known him since 2004 when I was starting out in the UK. We got hired together at the same day. We used to live together. He's a great guy. And then I stay in touch with him regularly. And there's, you know, five or six other guys that I'm regularly talking to as well. So you end up 
building some pretty tight bonds with these guys and yeah. uh, guys you've basically been in the ring with um, beating the hell out of each other and, and traveling the world together in rental cars and in um, airplanes and stuff you end up having a very tight bond with them so it's nice to, to still to this day you know regularly stay in touch with a lot of the guys yeah amazing. I'll, I'll see them all again we always cross paths again at some point whether I end up back there or they end up working for a company that I'm at or if we're at a convention or something like that you know like the, the wrestling world or the wrestling family once you're in it you're always going to end up crossing paths down the line yeah 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 and you are still involved in the in the wrestling industry as you say you are commentating with NWA I know I've seen a lot of interviews with you Stu and everyone always asks you this but um, the potential to wrestle again I think your Wikipedia says that you're in semi-retirement um, <laughs> is, uh, is that a, a, some, is that something you might look to do you think let me tell you, any wrestler who ever retires will come out of retirement for enough money. That's yeah. how it works. I don't care if you're The Undertaker or Ric Flair or yeah. Stu Bennett. If someone puts enough money out there, yeah, you know, I can do sure. one more. Uh, but yeah, it's I've, I've never closed the door on it. Um, I would imagine that I would never again go and wrestle 270 nights a year. I'm going to be 40 next month or in two months. Yeah. Um, so the prospect of doing that at my age does not fill me with joy anyway. And like I say, I like this balance. But to go back and do a limited amount of matches or a short run or something like that. I think that would be quite exciting if the right opportunity came along, the right place, the right time and the right storyline. And if I was excited about it, I don't want to ever do it. If it's just the case of, well, it's a nice paycheck, but I will probably hate my life for the duration of this contract. Um, I want to make sure it's something I'll enjoy and, and go out and be happy doing. So yeah. yeah, I would never write it off, but also similarly, if I never get back in a ring again, I don't feel like I, can have too many complaints. I was very lucky with my career for the most part, um, and I achieved a lot more than probably most people would have thought I would. So um, I had a good time, made some money, uh, and sp managed to spin it off into doing other cool things like film too. So uh, yeah. I've got no complaints. If, if that's it and I've had my last match, I would have no complaints. Yeah. Here in the UK particularly, there's a, there's a very strong wrestling scene, much more than there was when we were <laughs> growing up. Yep. Do you offer advice to young wrestlers or people who want to get into the to the scene? If so, what, what sort of advice would you impart, Stuart, for, for people? Yeah, I do get wrestlers asking me. I never volunteer it unless they ask because yeah. um, every wrestler... In a, in a locker room will come up with a different piece of advice. So if someone comes to me and say, hey, Stu, I'd like your advice on this. What do you think about this? I'll always give them advice on that if I know them. Um, in terms of people trying to break into the wrestling industry, where do I start? I, I wouldn't even bother giving those people information. And that's not to be rude. It's just the case if you have to, you have to investigate and you have to invest a little in yourself to get to a level of, of at least finding a training school and things like that. And mm. if you can't make that first step on your own, I can tell you, you're never going to make it. And I had to figure that out by myself. And, and once you've, you've got a little momentum and once you're doing a little bit and you've, okay, you've been training for a couple of years and you've had your first matches, would you look at this? You know, that's when I would want to offer some advice. And uh, yeah, the people who people say, Hey, how do I get into, how do I get to WWE? Like, I can't, I can't answer that for you. You, know, yeah. you need a work ethic first of all, which is the truth. Um, so yeah there's a certain level you have to get to really to, to for it to be worthwhile me giving someone advice you, know? you worked all the way up you worked solidly packing down the ring putting the ring up you know get, just getting involved in all aspects of it that's the thing isn't it you know it's starting off small but you're working on your craft all the time aren't you that's it it's it's, it's 
a lot of it is simply being in the right place and putting yourself in those positions. I, I never knew that the day I'm going to get signed is when this happens, yeah. but I was constantly putting myself in those positions to be seen, to improve. Um, and in all honesty, back then, it never felt like work anyway. I felt like I was enjoying every minute and even sure. packing down rings and all that stuff, and driving in a car at 3 a.m. Yeah. and only being paid petrol money and being lucky if I got a, a pasty out of a petrol station to eat for dinner. Yeah. Um, I loved every second of it. It was the most exciting, exhilarating thing I'd ever done in life, and uh, just being around the business. And uh, that's why I, I ended up getting signed and having that success, is because I was always putting myself in those positions to have success and to grab opportunities when they arose, because you can never you can never say straightforward, okay, just do this, this, and this, and that opportunity is going to pay off it's just as you know from your success in your career you just keep having to knock on the door or keep buying a ticket as one of my yeah. friends always say just got to keep buying a ticket keep buying a ticket one day you might win and that's it <laughs> very well you've chosen to die the trajectory of a lot of former WWE stars then moving into the movies, I mean, that's a very strong heritage there. You've got The Rock, you've got Dave Bautista, you've got John Cena as well. You've trodden the same path, Stu. Um, do you look to them as sort of uh, inspirations in, in a way? I think there is a natural fit for professional wrestlers um, to move into the acting world, especially yeah. action films. Um, we have that unique kind of... 80s action star look with the muscles and the size and all that yeah. stuff um, and on top of that a lot of us who are better at the talking and the character stuff which was always a strength of mine I think are really natural fits for that world um, I think once upon a time if you go back far enough probably pre-rock um, I think wrestlers in films were usually seen as just a joke okay this guy's going to be terrible and a lot of it was really bad but then the rock came along and he's been the biggest star in hollywood for about 10, 10 years now dave batista i think is fantastic and watching he's some wonderful. of his yeah. work has been incredible and Great. i would never have expected him to have the act the level of acting chops that he has and yeah. some of his roles the intricacies of the emotion and his facial expressions and stuff he is a, just a phenom in that world and yeah. i think he, he might actually be the best technical actor to have come from the the, the pro wrestling yeah, yeah, world I think and, so. you know rocks rocks are amazing too and i would never never knock the rock and, and he's opened up a lot of doors for guys like batista and guys like myself to be taken a little more seriously in the in the acting world but yeah those those guys have kicked down doors and i think you'll see a lot more people moving into the film world from the pro wrestling industry as it's being more accepted now so we certainly have a lot to thank those guys for yeah yeah and you don't mind being a, a sort of action film star you like action movies I do like action movies. It's not It's not like I would turn down a non-action movie. Yeah. Um, I think there is a certain uh, a certain typecasting that's going to happen when you're six foot six, you've got a broken nose, you've got tattoos, yes. you're 250 pounds and muscular. Um, I, I told this story the other day on another interview, but I'll, I'll mention it here. I When I first moved to New York, I was living in New York in, in Manhattan a couple of years ago, and I signed with an agent over there. It was a really big agency, but they were sending me to auditions for um, stuff like a doctor. Okay, they need a doctor in right. this show. And like in, in real life, there are doctors who are six foot six and muscular and have tattoos and a broken nose. It's yeah. just when you're casting for that role, eh, there has to be a reason why that guy is so big. And it's almost like that Chekhov's gun thing. Okay, the doctor is really big compared to everyone else. And he has muscles and he looks like he's got a busted nose yeah. at some point. A doctor who looks like that has to rip off his outfit and start beating the hell out of everyone or something. Uh, yeah. And if it doesn't happen, you're always questioning, well, this, okay, something doesn't add up. I, I'm, I'm waiting for this guy to do something. He's not doing something. 
Um, so there is an element of, of typecasting um, and, you know, I'll be very happy to continue in um, in the action film world because I love doing it. But obviously, if any other roles do come up for a six foot six guy, then yeah, I'd, I'd certainly look at that too. Yeah, absolutely. That reminded me of when Arnold Schwarzenegger played uh, was he a professor or something in uh, Junior, and it was never it was never explained uh, why is he <laughs> yeah, but he's got all these muscles. I was thinking of kindergarten cop for a second. I was like, uh, yeah, you know, I could kind of explain that because he was a bit of a badass cop who was play, pretending to be the, the kid's teacher. But, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, you're right. It's um, it's hard to force somebody like that into those kind of roles. And even The Rock, really, for the most part, he's doing action stuff pretty pretty consistently. Yeah, it's yeah. Very, very rarely will he stray away from that. It must have been quite easy, I'd imagine, once they set the cameras rolling, you know, you started in the in the acting world. That transition must have been quite familiar to you, working in... Yeah, in it, it is. Um, I think in the acting world, everything's a little more strict in terms of, okay, you have to stand exactly on this spot when yeah. you're walking. You have to say this line on the third step you move forward oh you move three inches too far we didn't get that and then in the fight scenes it's okay this punch that i'm throwing um i'm, I'm going to shoot it 12 times from different angles and trying trying to maintain that level of adrenaline we have in the pro wrestling world because yeah. one of the biggest drivers of adrenaline in the pro wrestling world is the fact we're live we've got ten thousand people in the crowd watching we've got a million watching at home live on tv you cannot mess this up if you mess it up you're gonna look like the biggest fool ever mm-hmm. um but you don't really have that on the film set so trying to trying to get that precision and trying to get that um, adrenaline on the 12th time you've thrown the punch. That's something that, that definitely took a, a lot of work for me and a bit of getting used to. You're sort of committed to the to the film path for the, for the time being, Stu. Is that, is that right? You're seeing, you're auditioning, you're getting scripts through, you're, you know, you're really advancing in that, in that world. It's, it's been a little quiet for the last six months since this yeah, um, COVID picked up, but uh, I was doing a little of that before yeah. then. Uh, but yeah, you know, I'm enjoying it. Like I say, I, I enjoy the variety. And if I'm at a point in life now where, you know what, if I don't have anything for a couple of months, I'm actually fine with that. Um, you know, I'm going to go away, go to the beach, hang out with my girlfriend, whatever it is, and enjoy life a little more. And then if an opportunity comes up that I like, I'll take it. If it's acting, if it's pro wrestling, if it's hosting um, or anything like that. And, um, you know, I'm very, very much going with the breeze at the moment, yeah. um, as I think we kind of have to during this current climate. Um, but the acting stuff is something I certainly love and I, I hope I continue getting opportunities in that world and I hope people continue supporting the films that I'm in because that's the the usual sure sign of, of getting another one is when, when something does well. This has been a lot of fun, Stu. Thank you so much for, for talking to me today and uh, best of luck. No, thank you, Ben. And thank you very much for all the support with the film. I know you've uh, had Ross on previously. Thank that's you for right. having me on and, and thank you for helping support the, the industry and, and this specific film. So everyone out there, enjoy I Am Vengeance Retaliation. Thank you. Thank you so much. You take care. Awesome. Take care, mate. Thank you. Stu Bennett there. Really enjoyed talking to Stu Bennett, formerly Wade Barrett, formerly Bad News Barrett. He's such a easygoing guy, really easy to chat to and We do wish him all the very best over there in Los Angeles. We do hope he's getting through the lockdown okay and that things do, of course, pick up over there again, both in terms of his wrestling duties, but also his work on any upcoming feature films. The whole industry is, of course, suffering at the moment. So, you know, our heart does go out to anyone involved in any of the creative industries 
Stu's new movie is called I Am Vengeance Retaliation. It is out now in the USA on digital and it is released today, July the 13th here in the UK. Go to wherever it is that you get your movies online and check it out from today. If you do want to keep up to date with all the latest Stu Bennett news, then make sure you follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Stu Bennett, and Stu is also on Instagram. You can follow Stu at Stu Bennett Official. I will make sure that I add links to both of those social media accounts in the description of this particular episode. I put a link to the book that Stu mentioned. This is the book that first got him interested in the idea of pursuing a career in professional wrestling. The book that he was talking about there is called Have a Nice Day, A Tale of Blood and Sweat Socks. That is by the wrestler Mick Foley. I've included the Amazon link there to that book. Do click on that link if you want to purchase a copy of that book. Okay, before I go, a few quick thank yous. A huge thank you to Ross Boyask. Ross is, of course, the director of I Am Vengeance Retaliation. It was Ross who got me in touch with Stu in the first place and helped to arrange this conversation. So a huge thank you to you, Ross. Thank you so much. A huge thank you also to my friend Tim Hassel. Tim has proved such an invaluable support over the last few weeks or so, just helping me with a lot of the research for this particular episode. Tim is a font of wrestling knowledge, and I thank him very, very much for his help on this particular episode. Thank you so much, Tim. Also, a huge thank you, of course, to Stu Bennett for speaking to me, and a huge thank you to you, the loyal Foo follower who has listened to this episode all the way to the very end. Thank you so much for your support and for downloading and checking out this episode of the show. I will be back again in two weeks' time with another new episode in the fifth season of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Until then, thank you all so much. Please do take care. Look after yourself and one another. I'll speak to you very soon. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.